Well, it's uh, in some ways hard to believe that we're already at Thanksgiving, isn't it? That went by in a hurry. Well, next week, we'll no doubt be gathered around family tables, and so I know we've got a number of people on the road already this week, and if you're going to be away next week with family and friends, then happy Thanksgiving, all right? We'll miss you here. We'll be praying for you as you travel. But next week, we'll be at tables enjoying feasts of thanksgiving for God's physical provision. Aren't you grateful for the way He meets our needs day after day? Absolutely, absolutely. Today, this morning as a church family, we're gathered at this table to give thanks for His spiritual provision. Aren't you grateful for forgiveness and life in Christ? Absolutely, absolutely. And here as we come to the family table today, we're looking back at the cross. We've been singing about the cross. We're looking back at the cross, what God accomplished for us there through Jesus Christ. We're also looking back at the resurrection and what God accomplished there for us through Jesus Christ. We're also looking forward to His return and what He will ultimately do for us in and through Jesus Christ. Amen? This is just a taste a taste looking back at the Passover, of just a reminder of God's provision for us and rescue of us. It's also just a taste and a hint of that celebration we're going to have when we're all around the table feasting in the kingdom. And we all get home together. Isn't that going to be a great Absolutely. That's what this is looking forward to as well as looking back on. Well, today as we remember what God has done for us and what God will do for us ultimately, when we come to this table, I'd like to focus our thoughts for a few moments on Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. This is a letter that Paul and Timothy wrote together and sent to the Colossian church. And so there are places here where Paul will use the word I, and there's places where he uses the word we, and that we is he and Timothy. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9, he says, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let me ask you a question this morning, church family. Is that our goal? <laughs> that we grow in the knowledge of God? Uh, that we grow to be filled with the knowledge of His will so that we make choices and decisions that honor Him, that we live a life worthy of the Lord who has called us and rescued us? Is that our goal? Paul will describe that again at the end of this chapter by saying his goal is that, and our goal in history is that ultimately we present everyone mature in Christ. That's, that's the goal, isn't it? And that's what this looks like, and that's what this is pointing, pointing us to. He's praying that we would grow in the knowledge of God. That's why this September, this fall, we started off our fall season by taking Sunday mornings in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 to just come back and remind ourselves of the truth. 
and that our faith and our lives are grounded in the truth, that our minds must soak in the truth in order to navigate life in this world as we are surrounded by so much in terms of lies and attacks on the truth. We came back to the first few chapters of Genesis so that we would understand the truth of who God is and be amazed again at at just who He is and what only He can do. And that we would be reminded again of the truth about ourselves, about who we are, where we came from, and how precious we are in the sight of God. It's important for us to learn these things, isn't it? I remember back, oh man, it's more summers ago than I care to remember now. It's back a few years ago, a number of years ago when I was a youth pastor. And there were times where parents would come to me and they would say, now Steve, um, I didn't bring my son to Bible study this week or to youth group this week because he's, he's got homework. Or I didn't bring my daughter to the study class this morning because she's got homework. And I would have, at first, it just threw me, and I went, okay, whatever. And then I started thinking, no, not okay, whatever. And then I started engaging in conversations, and when parents would say that, I would say, hold it. They stayed home from Bible study to do extra math? Well, yes. Okay, so, so what is the most important in life? that they grow in their knowledge of God and in how to walk with Him and be right with Him and to serve Him. Is that the most important? Is that not more important than four more math questions? Like, I'm not against them doing their homework. But if I gave them homework from Bible study, or we were learning verses together in Bible study, would you be checking up on them to make sure they were doing their homework? Or are you more concerned with math than history? That, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? It's like, yeah, we, have, we all have responsibilities and we have these things we need to learn and I'm not telling kids not to do homework wherever we are, all right? Yeah, we do our homework, but what's the most important thing and how does that show up day to day in how we learn and we grow and we study and we, we mature? That's the prayer that Paul and Timothy have. That's what's on their heart for the church of the Colossians that God would fill them with the knowledge of His will so that they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, honoring and pleasing God in every way, and that they would grow in their knowledge of God. That's their prayer. How would you feel if you were sitting in the Colossian church that morning when you heard that read to you? Paul and Timothy are praying for us. That's fantastic. I mean, this is Paul and Timothy, and they're praying for us. Wow, this is great. And then we hear that list. Would we be saying, but just a minute. What about all these other needs that we have? (laughs) Well, they'll get to those. But this is the foundation, the prayer beneath it all. That whatever we pray about and all these other issues that we will and do pray for and should, that the key foundation supporting it all is what? That we would grow to be more like Christ. That we'd be mature in Christ. That we'd grow in our knowledge of God and in our knowledge of His will. That we might live a life that honors Him and pleases Him in every way. And so, so leaders, brothers, Pastor Marty, deacons, my challenge to you and to my heart this morning is this. As we pray for our church family, there are many things that we pray for, and we should, and we need to. Long list of issues. 
And we love our church family, and we care for our church family, we pray for our church family. But my challenge to you is this. We need to pray with this as the bedrock foundational prayer in all of those situations. This is what we need to be praying for our church family. To grow in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of His will that we might please Him in every way and live a life worthy of His name. So that's my challenge to you this morning and to my own heart. As we pray for our church family, let's pray this way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, not at Harrow Baptist Church, but as Harrow Baptist Church, I challenge you, pray for each other this way. Yes, pray for all the other needs that we have and and the burdens on our hearts. Pray for those things for sure. But start here. Make this the root of it all, that we pray for each other. That, Lord, whatever is going on in that person's life today, would you simply make sure that through it all they grow in their knowledge of you, that they grow in their understanding of your will, that they might know how to navigate this situation in a way that, that, that leads them to live a life worthy of your name and that brings honor and glory and pleasure to you. Make that the foundation as we pray for each other. Parents, as you pray for your children, and you pray for their health and their safety, you pray for their future, for wherever they might live and whatever they might do, whatever education they might have, and and you pray for their future spouse, that God would guard and protect that person, and, and all those kind of things as you're praying for your children. Make this the foundation of it. God, help my children to grow in the knowledge of you and of how to walk with you in a way that is worthy of your name and accomplishes your purposes. I urge you to pray that way. Paul continues after telling the Colossians how they've been praying for them. He continues and says in verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, power beyond what you could ever imagine or muster up on your own. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience. Anybody needed endurance and patience in life this week? All right. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As you face opposition out there for following Jesus and doing things His way, believing the Bible, as you face challenges at work and at school and and at home, as you face relational issues, health issues, financial issues, different needs, different crises that show up out of nowhere seemingly, as we walk through days and stages of grief, as we have decisions and choices to make day to day and the, the simple ones and the big ones that loom ahead of us, may we do it all with endurance and patience and joy and gratitude as we cling to, cling to the Father and walk with Him. Amen? That's what Paul's praying. May you be strengthened with God's power to hang in there faithfully through it all. What a great word of encouragement to each other, isn't it? Absolutely. That's a great way to check in on each other. Hey, I've been praying for you in this situation. How's your endurance? How's your patience? 
How's your joy and your gratitude? I'm praying for you. We walk through these things and the challenges we're given in life. We walk through them with endurance and patience and joy and gratitude with our eyes and our hearts set on Christ, set on God, set on home. And we do it as we cling to Him and trust in Him and lean on Him, giving thanks for our salvation, giving thanks that it's not just about here and now. Aren't you glad it's not just about here and now? Oh, but it's about eternity. Giving thanks to the one who can get you through today, but also can get you to eternity and has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This Thanksgiving thing, it's not just about a day, is it? Or a weekend, or even a season. It's a way of life. Gratitude, gratitude that in it all, I am safe and secure in the hands of the Father who has qualified me for the inheritance of the saints in light. I'm looking forward to that. Well, then he says, how did he qualify us for that inheritance? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How did he qualify us? By saying, wow, you measured up? No. By rescuing us through his son Jesus. Sacrificing Jesus to die in our place and take our judgment that we could take his righteousness and embark on his life. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We're not nomads. We're not people without a country. We've been delivered from one dominion into the next. We've been redeemed, purchased back from one into the next. And we've been forgiven for the rebellion that had us there in the first place. Isn't that amazing? For four years, Emperor Theodore III of Ethiopia and held a group of 53 European captives, 30 adults and 23 children, including some missionaries and a British consul, in a remote 9,000-foot-high bastion deep in the interior of his nation. By several letters, Queen Victoria pleaded in vain with Theodore to release these captives, to people free. He ignored her, ignored her pleas. So eventually, here's what happened. The government ordered a full-scale military expedition from India to march all the way to and into Ethiopia, not to conquer a country and make it a British colony, but simply to rescue a tiny band of civilians. 32,000 men, heavy artillery, 44 elephants to carry the big guns, provisions including 50,000 tons of beef and pork, <laughs> engineers to come to build landing piers, water treatment plants, a railroad, a telegraph line, and many bridges along the way to enable this, this, this rescue. All of this was done so that these men could come and fight one decisive battle, release these prisoners, and then they all packed up and went home. 
the British spent it in the 1800s millions of pounds to rescue a handful of captives. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? How do you think those captives responded? You did all of that for us? For us? That's pretty impressive. But it doesn't even compare to the cross, does it? We weren't just captives, we were rebels. Facing judgment. And God rescued us through His Son. It's amazing. I'm not sure if you've heard of this event that took place very recently, and I want to share it with you. On September 6th, 2018, Amber Geyer, an off-duty patrol officer in Dallas, entered the apartment of 26-year-old accountant Botham Jean. She later said she thought it was her own apartment, and she mistook him for a, a burglar, so she shot and killed him. One year later, just this past week, October 1st, 2019, Officer Geyer was found guilty of murder, and on October 2nd, this past Wednesday, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Botham's brother, Brant, was allowed to be in the courtroom on Wednesday to give a victim impact statement. So he came and he sat in the witness chair and he gave his victim impact statement by looking directly at Amber Geyer. Here, were, here are his words. If you truly are sorry, then speaking for myself, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you too. I'm speaking for myself, but I want you to know that I love you just like anyone else. I am not going to say that I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, I want the best for you. I was never going to say this in front of my family or anyone, but I need you to know I didn't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. And the best would be to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. He then turned to the judge, and with tears running down his face and his voice quivering, he said this, I don't know if this is possible, but please, can I give her a hug? Please? And the two stood and wept and embraced in front of the judge in the courtroom on Wednesday. Now, part of us says, that's pretty cool. That's pretty impressive, that level of forgiveness. But part of us says, hold it. You were in the place where you could have demanded justice. You could have sought justice in this matter right then and there and demanded it. But instead, you forgave her and pointed her to Jesus. How could you do that? Why did you do that? I believe it's because Brant, like his brother Botham, knows what it is to stand before Almighty God guilty and condemned and deserving. But then to have a nail-pierced hand reached out 
and say, I forgive. And here's mercy and here's grace. And they took this opportunity to explain that and extend that to others. So you and I often picture ourselves in these situations as the forgiver. And we forget that we're merely one of the forgiven. Sometimes we think of ourselves as the one who could be the rescuer when really we're just one of the rescued. Throwing the lifeline to someone else who needs it. We've started this fall by looking at our great God, the creator of all. So give him the glory that he is due. But we lowered our eyes beyond just all of the universe and we focused in on people, on you and I. We understood that God is our creator. So we need to worship him as he deserves. We saw last week from Genesis 3 that God is the judge and the rescuer at the same time, and so we praise him for that. But I encourage us at this table this morning to remember that God is our rescuer, my rescuer. We need to take this very personally today. The big picture of knowing that God forgives is good and needed and necessary but never miss the fact that if we are in Christ, God has forgiven me and God has forgiven you. We need to take this very personally. He is our rescuer. So look around the room. Look around the room. What do you see here? The rescued, the delivered, (laughs) the, the redeemed and forgiven. That's who we are. And so we come and join our hearts with gratitude to Him. We thank Him for this as we trust Him with all the rest of life. Amen? We're going to pray for the bread. And then we're going to walk into the communion time together here. I encourage you this morning, as we reflect on our own hearts, Lord, is there anything in my life that you need to put your finger on today to show that it's sin and it needs to be repented of? Respond. Not by saying, well, I'll pass the plate and deal with this later. Respond by saying, Lord, I I turn from that. I surrender that. I confess that. Forgive it and walk me forward. And let's thank him and praise him and celebrate his mercy together this morning. Amen? Let's pray together for the bread this morning.